So I'm going to hit record. So that sounds something like, hi, this is Dr. Grace Lee from careerrevisionist.com, and you are listening to Jeff Smith on Vroom Vroom Veer. Buckle up. Something. <laughs> something like that. That sounds awesome. Okay. Well, you go I, ahead and take one whenever you're ready. So um, you want me to say those lines? You can say that it's it, what I want you to do is just get those things in there. I want you to say Vroom Vroom Veer. I want you to say Jeff Smith and I want you to say your URL. Everything else you can improvise. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, and I'm, I, I'm addressing your audience, right? Yes, you are. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Whenever you're ready. Okay. Oh, it's so funny because I didn't see the record uh, button, so I thought it wasn't recording yet. Oh, no. I'm, I'm, re I'm not recording on the Zoom. I'm just oh, recording on my recorder. Oh, that is very trippy. <laughs> <laughs> That's very trippy. Neat, huh? All right. So take two. Yeah, whatever. We, I'm ready. Okay. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. This is Dr. Grace Lee from careerrevisionist.com. Jeff, it's so awesome to be on your podcast, Vroom Vroom Veer, and I'm excited for our conversation ahead. I love it. That was probably a little too good, so I'll have to leave some of that blooper stuff around there. Sure. <laughs> just so you know, just so you know. <laughs> okay, I'm going to hit stop and I'll be right back. Okay. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going? Uh, it's going great, Jeff. Excited to visit with you. Cool. So um, talk a little bit about what you've got going on over there at your website, GoBundance.com. Yeah, so in GoBundance right now, we just released a book called Tribe of Millionaires. And uh, it's really a book that was written by the, the elders and founders of uh, GoBundance. And really talking about um, how powerful the people are that are in our lives, that influence, that influences you, how powerful that is. So we just wrote this incredible book. Um, it's, it's already got five-star reviews on Amazon, really becoming a, a fast seller. But we're giving it away on our website, uh, tribeofmillionaires.com. It's tribeofmillionaires.com. Or you can go to our, our home website, gobundance.com. There's a link there as well. So we've been uh, really excited to share this message and, and show how powerful the influence of people are in your life and uh, changing lives by people becoming more aware of who they spend time with. That's amazing. Good for you. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. It sounds like it was a lot of work. Um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been interesting. This is the first time that we've uh, really kind of gone through a book launch, but we had some amazing mentors in the space to kind of help us work through it. And uh, uh, it's been a lot of fun and we're, we're really proud of, uh, of the book we wrote and uh, getting that book out into uh, the hands of, of of a lot of people and transforming their lives. All right. Well, good for you and congrats. You know, you got to take time to uh, to celebrate your wins. So way to go. <laughs> That's right. Yes. 
It's hard okay. to do sometimes, though. It is. It is. You're right. <laughs> you are correct. You know, what is it that I don't know? We could have that could be like a whole therapy session right there. What you just said. <laughs> <laughs> so, OK, so this is Vroom Vroom Veer. So that means we have to go back in time and talk about Dirk Van Reenen like way back when. Right. So where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Bethlehem, South Africa. That's where I was born and raised. Um, wow. I lived okay. there until I was 14 years old, and then my family immigrated to the United States. Wow. Okay, so say the name of that place again. I, I heard Bethlehem, but that can't be right. Yeah, there's actually a Bethlehem in South Africa as well. Oh, really? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. See, look at that. Learn something new that I never knew before. There's a Bethlehem <laughs> in South Africa. All right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you said you <clears throat> you grew born and raised in in South Africa, Bethlehem. So yeah. all right. So do you have what 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 are your memories like of uh, of South Africa and growing up? So let's see, fourteen. So that's about like middle school age when you moved, or maybe the beginning yeah, of high so school. Was, yeah. Yeah. So I was fourteen. Is uh, I kind of went to being a freshman in high school here when we first got here. So okay. Um, yeah. So I got to kind of my, my childhood was spent in South Africa, and you know I've got such amazing fond memories of it. Really? Uh, okay. Great. Uh, an amazing country, and you know, unfortunately, there's been uh, a lot of things that have happened over the last twenty years that have really started, uh, you know, kind of declining what the country was once, but. Uh, growing up was amazing. I mean, um, I spent a lot of time outside. Um, I mean, uh, pretty much from the time that the sun came up till the time the sun went down, I was outside. Uh, love, you know, just kind of being out in nature, playing, uh, you know, fishing, you know, just kind of just being outside. Yeah. So um, I did a lot of traveling within South Africa and, and kind of some other countries within Africa. So that was a lot of fun. But um, yeah, in 90, in 96, uh, my family made the move and left South Africa and, uh, came to the U S. So where, where did you land in the U S? <laughs> so I, <laughs> I laugh because I mean, it's, like people ask me all the time, like, how did you end up there? But we ended up in a place called Kroll, Texas. And wow. okay. Yeah. Kroll, Texas. Kroll. And it's one of these places that if you've never, if you're not from there or somehow, like been to, like it's just one of these places that nobody knows about. Sure. There's 1,200 people in a town when we moved in. Wow. Oh my goodness. That yeah. is a small town. So, yeah. So I had a culture shock. Uh, so that guy had about 280 kids in my class. And I come to now our new school where there's 126 kids in the entire school and only wow. like 20 in my class. So it's a little bit of a culture shock. And, and this is a real um, agricultural type type town right so i mean everybody's either farming or ranching um really different environment right so we ended up in cold texas all these um and i mean it, it, it's it's just one of these small texas towns and i mean like uh you know we still still have so many great friends there i, I was only there for four years while i was in high school but um just uh we were really welcomed with open arms and and accepted into the community and it, it was it was really a great community that accepted us there and kind of uh, helped, you know, adjustment from moving across the world. So, but um, yeah, very, very, um, very small place. Yeah. That's that. I mean, I grew up in small town, Michigan. So I, I, I grew up in a place called Menominee, Michigan. Okay. Uh -huh. And that's a native American tribes name. Okay. <laughs> Menominee tribe. Um, and I think when I was growing up, there was like 12,000 kids in the town. So 
So sort of like a rural, but not as rural as you. <laughs> well, that's why I laugh. Like, because people, the people say sometimes they're from small towns, and I'm like, no, I don't think you understand like what a really small town looks. Right. Like. No, I'm I'm, I'm familiar. Sure. Really small town. Yeah. Right. Right. That's like the the quintessential one stoplight kind of town. Maybe. Oh, dude, it is, and it wasn't even a it wasn't even a stoplight. It was a blinking stoplight. Right. So just a blink- <laughs> One of, one of those in the town. Yeah. Did you have like a, a U.S. Uh, highway going through your town or not? Um, there was a there was there, it was on the intersection of two smaller smaller highways, but not not at all interstate or okay, or gotcha, right, like right, right. Just two, like, two 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 lane little highways that ran through there. Okay. Um, so really, uh, just really small off the beaten path. Like if you didn't have a reason to go there, like, you know, nobody, nobody goes there. It's, it's kind of one of these towns that the only reason that, that really town expands is between, you know, uh, you know, middle of this year, you know, middle of November, usually till about middle of January when it's hunting season and people go deer hunting. Right. Then you kind of see like a little bit of hustle and bustle outside of that. It's just like really slow paced, small town. I get it. Yes. The same. Oh, yeah. Oh, in, small towns i'm from the same sort of culture there in michigan this time of year is is really big that hunting culture is actually in decline now like the younger kids aren't hunting as much in michigan as they as their fathers did right yeah yeah that's interesting so did you get into it were you a deer hunter i didn't (laughs) um yeah i mean i i um i do enjoy hunting i don't do as much of it now as what uh what i did really growing up okay I mean, I, it's a big part of, uh, you know, the culture and way of life there is, um, so actually I've done, even in the last couple of years, I've done more hunting back in South Africa than I have in the U S right. Um, okay. Wow. Back, um, uh, hunting there. Nice. Okay. So let's talk about what your high school experience was like. I mean, did you, did you feel like an outsider or did you fit in pretty much right away? Oh no, man! I stuck out like a, a sore thumb, like one hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I moved to this tiny town, um, and you don't have a lot of variation in the town, right? So it's it's kind of there's not a lot of like continual uh, outside new influences coming at, coming into a town like that, right? So, right. Um, so it, my family showed up, and I mean, you know, I've, I've got this crazy accent, and people half the time can't understand what I'm saying, and um, you know, just like differences, I stuck out quite a bit. And then I think the other thing too, is that there was just, it was just so small and it wasn't anything to do. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. It, yes. I mean, you know, where I live in South Africa, there was, you know, there was a, a hundred thousand people in the town at that point. So it wasn't a big town, but it wasn't exactly a small town. Right. I mean, there's a lot to do. And then all of a sudden you move to this town, I mean, there's, there's really nothing to do. There's nowhere for, for kids to hang out. Right. You know, so pretty much what you do, and I found this out pretty quick, is um, people go for a drag, right? It was what they used to call it. I don't know if they still call it that right now. Um, town, it's kind of like a big L shape where you, where you drive just up and down the streets, the main streets, and that's all you do. And then you, <laughs> yes. stop, you stop at the courthouse and people are hanging out and talking, or you go on a back road and, you know, you go drink some beer and hit the back road or whatever it is, right? So, that was all of high school. So for me, um, it was very different. And, um, you know, cause I, I tend to want to kind of move and accomplish something and move towards something. So for me, it just felt like, man, like you're always doing the same thing. There's no progression. So I was very ready to leave, um, that town by the time that high school was done. I can and imagine. In fact, <laughs> I actually left town the day after graduation. Um, I actually joined, uh, 
a custom harvesting crew because obviously being in a farming community and, and my family, we didn't have uh, any money after we immigrated. So I started working at 14 and I started doing farm and ranch work, right? So driving okay. tractors, you know, doing fencing or working with cattle or whatever it was, but very agricultural type work. So I learned how to operate, you know, machinery and things like that in, in high school. And so I was, still, I was 17 when I graduated and I immediately joined a custom harvesting crew. And essentially what they do is they cut wheat and, and barley and things like that. So, and then it's kind of traveling, following the season up the United States. So I joined them, we immediately kind of left and then started going to other towns. And I, and I was with them all summer up to the point where we're somewhere in Colorado by the time that, that uh, college started and drove back. And I mean, immediately went to school and like never went back to that town again, right? Still have friends every once in a while. So we went and still have friends there. But it was one of those things that for me, I wanted to get out into the world as fast as I could. I had a similar experience. <laughs> I um I spent like uh, I was I was about to um, stay in town and do like two years of community college in town. I had enrolled huh. and done everything, and then I went in and saw the Air Force recruiter, and I specifically went in to tell them that I wasn't going to join the Air Force, and he wasn't there, and his boss was, his supervisor was there because the guy that I had been talking to was sick, right. Uh-huh. And he convinced me that I really needed to get out of town. <laughs> and I believed him. And, uh, and yeah. I joined the Air Force and I never looked back. <laughs> well, you spent 20 years in the Air Force, right? I did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, was, a, that was a big pivotal moment. It was life. a huge veer, right? Yes. Yeah. It was, so your veer, your first veer was you were just dying to get out of like that uh, agricultural um, small town. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I... And, you know, I moved to, uh, I went to college in a place called Canyon, Texas, which is right by Amarillo, Texas. So still a smaller market. Like now you're talking about maybe like 200,000 people. Okay. Still at least that, nice. You know, that's, you know, it's, it's better small. than 1,200 people. Right. Yeah. It's like a 200% increase, right? So, <laughs> um, or no, it'll be 2,000. Yeah. So anyway, a big, a big increase. Um, so I wanted to get out, right? So I went to went to school there and uh, ended up living there for uh, for quite a few years. And uh, for me, um, I, I didn't particularly enjoy high school. Um, I didn't actually particularly enjoy college either. Okay. Um, because again, like for me, it's just like uh, I want to. Uh, I'm a very experiential type person, right? I want to experience. I want to exert effort, energy, and. I always felt extremely confined, you know, in those kind of uh, environments. So um, I think uh, in college, like I tell people like, look, college experience was great, but it wasn't because of what I learned in the classroom. Right. Right. And um, I think for me, um, you know, today, I think, you know, it's kind of interesting that I think, you know, speaking about veering, right. I think a lot of kids today, a lot of parents today are really kind of questioning that that point in, in a young person's life was like, Hey, should, should they go to college or, you know, should they kind of go on a different path? And, uh, we're, we're really seeing a lot of conversation, especially in the entrepreneurial community around that topic. Right. That's, right. That's your point. So for me, I kind of went down the traditional path and, uh, I was a little disappointed because I, I really wanted to take a sabbatical after high school and, um, travel or right. Yeah. Just travel and, and kind of get some, some more, you know, real life experience. Right. And, um, so, uh, but I went to the traditional route and, um, you know, finished up everything, but never, never really felt like it was, 
the right thing for me ultimately to do. Cause again, like I couldn't wait to get done with that part of my life. Okay. Um, right. Right. It's was, like you're trying to like, you're, you're thinking, okay, my life is on pause a little bit here. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so for me, it, it kind of went from one thing from like being in the small town and want to get out of small town and going to college. I just want to get out of college and kind of get in the real world. So, um, I, I actually used to work at a ski shop, uh, while I was going to school and ended up managing the shop of um, by the second year that I was there, and then I was able to actually purchase that that business when I was twenty. Wow! So that was oh wow! My, yeah, so that was kind of like my my first time that I got set free. You know, I was like, okay, now I'm I'm on the path. So um, that was kind of a big a big. You That's know, a big fear. That's a huge fear. Yeah. You're twenty years old yeah. and you buy a business. So is yeah. this is this just like a one one kind of store kind of business? Uh, it's a one-store business, yeah, yeah. one location. Yeah. Um, the, the owner uh, financed everything for me. Wow. Uh, you know, I think he trusted me and, and saw the way that I was doing everything. So um, the, the business was really, really dated by the time that I bought it. Um, right. A lot of the inventory had been updated for quite a few years, the, the shop itself. So um, I think he was just really ready to be done with it. He lived kind of a half the year, and um, I think it was kind of a, a good way for him to kind of move on from it and for me being a young person it was like a really good way to kind of get in so i think it kind of worked everything kind of worked out and looking back i would say that that was one of the, the best decisions i ever made and it was one of the worst decisions i ever made and, uh, <laughs> i love that uh, yes i i totally know what you mean okay explain so, uh, so, yeah so it's just like I, I think i was so eager to jump into it and i wasn't ready at all for it but i jumped in and I took ownership of it and you know, the first, uh, the first four years were pretty amazing um, because it, everything, you know, we, we kind of started updating our inventory, started kind of making some changes in our layout in the shop and everything like that. And I had, at that point, we had about 5,000 square foot of uh, shop space. And, um, but it was in a real, like, Class C type location. And we, we heard that they were going to kind of tear this entire area down. It was, it was, it was a big, it was a traditional mall, a couple of, like, freestanding buildings, and I was one of the freestanding and so they wouldn't renew leases or anything like that. And I, I wasn't smart enough to like really tune into that because it, it had been so many years they wouldn't renew leases that people just kind of got numb to it and like, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to be month to month. So about four years into it, uh, we're halfway through the, the winter season. This is kind of where we really start making money and we get a notice that we have to be out in 30 days. Like they, they get everybody was left uh, vacation, uh, vacating those notices. And wow. so again so we're in the middle of our season for me yeah this uh, is the again, time then you make all your money basically this is a, yeah i mean we're, we're close six months out of the year open six months out of the year but it's not until like you know december january february march i mean really uh that those are like the four months that you really make all your money right? sure so in the middle of the season um i'm just kind of Thinking, okay, hey, we gotta we gotta make the change as fast as possible. And initially, I, I try to kind of go to them and say, hey, just let me finish my season out. We, we can be out by the end of uh, April. Right. And they said no. And I think for me, as uh, at this point, I was like 24 years old, and I think I didn't have the maturity just to say, okay, hey, logistically, it's probably gonna take them longer to get done what they need to do. We should just sit and wait it out and finish our season. Sure. Instead of doing that, I now had a couple of years of experience, and I had a little bit of, a little bit of confidence, and maybe a little bit of ego. So, 
I went from like a C location to like an A plus location in town. Uh, added like another 2,000 square foot to our retail space, brought in all of these summer lines. And all the summer stuff that I brought in wasn't really based on market research. It was just more based on what I was into at the time, which was like wakeboarding and um, kite surfing and things like that. Okay. And I didn't really think about, um, I didn't really think about, you know, the consequences of that. So we, we made these big moves and, you know, financially I've all paid the shop off by this point. We didn't have much debt, but then to make this move, we took on a massive amount of debt. Uh, right. So we ended up taking on probably about $200,000 of the debt in getting a new location, buying all the new summer lines, moving the shop, all that kind of stuff. And your <laughs> rent was probably a lot higher from going from C to C. Oh, but yeah, my, my yeah. rent tripled. I mean, my, my overall overhead tripled. Wow. Yeah. Holy so, cow. Over, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, big, big move. Like, this is like, hey, this is one of these like big leaps in, in business, right? And yes. So what happened is um, we go into our first summer um, and it is just bone dry. Like it's just like nothing's really happening. And around the same time, there's actually a drought that starts happening in uh, in that part of the world, right? Uh, so it's kind of south southwestern United States. And um, so a lot of the water and lakes and stuff like that slowly start start drying up. Same thing going into the ski season. If you have if you go through a drought, there's not a lot of snow in the mountains in the wintertime. Right. So the summer was terrible. The winter still still was pretty good, right? So we kept we kept kept you know afloat that that first year. We had a big winter again, but it wasn't it wasn't what we were expecting. Um, and then we went back into the summertime. It was just like death. I mean, it was just like I mean, it just completely drained everything. Luckily, we held on to go into wintertime again. Winter we caught kind of back up on everything, and then it was like by the end of that next winter. We had just kind of caught up on being even, and now we're going into this like summer season again. We don't have any money to turn um, to new to different types of equipment, right? Because I mean, if, if you have a, a especially sporting shop like that, it's not it's not the kind of cheaper stuff you're going to pick up like a, at an academy or something like that, right? Right. So, right. Um, you know, we're we're talking like specialty type stuff. So even even if you just wanted to bring in like a line of you know bicycles or something like that, I mean, you're probably looking at you know, fifty to eighty thousand dollars just to get you know fifteen twenty bikes on the floor, and then you got to get all the accessories and this and this. And so, you know, we had already kind of blown our budgets on something that I did not research very well. Right. Okay. So, you know, the story is we go into this 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 third year of just bleeding in the summertime, and we started getting behind on our rent. I mean, like the business like started failing, right? Like all critical systems were just failing around the place. Um, and I show up to work one day and I'm there uh, opening up the shop and everything. And my landlord shows up with, uh, with uh, a locksmith and he locks me out of my own shop. And I'm 27 years old at this point and had the business that failed. And by the time it's all said and done, I mean, I was probably in debt about $300,000. Ouch. Didn't have, yeah, I didn't have a business anymore. I really had nothing to show for it because, you know, when you look at that kind of inventory, it's not like, owning real estate or, or certain types of equipment where it holds its value to be resell. Uh-huh. I'm right. not paying dollar type liquidation. Right? So um, at that point, my life took a really big veer. Right. So, a lot so. Of, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> and, and during this time too, is when, um, you know, cause, cause all of this was happening in like 2000, like towards the end of 2007, 2008. Right. So, oh, right. Right. When the this point, economy is uh, about to tank. Yeah, I mean, the, the real estate market's tanking, the economy's tanking. Um, so really really kind of interesting time <laughs> that 
this this one has already uh, married, uh, been married for a couple of years, and, and I dated my wife for about five years before that, so we've been together for a while. And uh, we just actually somehow, this is kind of back when you can fog a mirror and get a home loan. Like somehow we got a home loan. <laughs> like, right? Yeah, I remember those days. I got one in 2003, so I'm, I'm familiar with the time. Yeah, so we, we got a house and uh, about a week after we closed our house, we found out my wife's pregnant, right? And, and one thing that, um, that I've always wanted about her since we met was she said, hey, Dirk, I want to... I want to be a wife and a stay-at-home mom. I've got no ambition to go out and fill it in the workplace. Um, that's not important to me. Um, you know, money's not that important to me. Um, if you're looking for somebody that those things are important to, it's not me. And I told her, I said, hey, that's not what I'm looking for in, in, in a spouse. Um, I said, you know, there's other things that are really important to me. And so we're in alignment. So I made her uh, a promise. I said, hey, because you're authentic in the way that you showed up, um, my promise to you is that I'll take care of you and, and honor that. To where uh, once we have children, you don't have to go back to work. Right? Okay. Um, at, at any point, if you ever choose to. So this is kind of like now we, we went from um, two incomes to having a failing business, and now she's pregnant, and you know we're we're uh, about to have our first kid. So I mean, there's a lot of things that really kind of came together, like in a, in a massive pressure point. Right. So. Um, so immediately I just I immediately went back to work. I mean, that's the only thing that I've ever known to do is like work really hard. So um, I actually went back to work for an auctioneer. <laughs> and, um, wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This, this is something like when I was going to college, I actually had two jobs, right? So I went to school in the morning from like eight to one. And then I worked for the auctioneer, like, you know, from about uh, two o'clock in the afternoon to about five 30. And then, so I already had a great relationship with this auctioneer. And he had actually, throughout the years, I kind of helped him on different projects and stuff like that. So um, I called him up and I said, hey, here's what's going on. And he said, all right, so you can start immediately. So I went to work for him. And um, I remember I, I, starting off, I got paid $2,200 a month, right? And now I had all of this debt. And I mean, I wasn't even covering my interest on my debt with that kind of money, but I mean, that's all I had. So right. Okay. Working, and, um, we done, I worked with a lot of like support stuff and like real estate auctions, but never actually handled the real estate portion of it. So he said, Hey, get your real estate license, start handling the, uh, the real estate part of it. And I said, okay. So <laughs> I get my real estate license and this is in 2008 now. Right. And <laughs> okay. So yeah. Like in the down market, but so we started, um, we started kind of doing more real estate auctions around Amarillo and then we started traveling, right? So as, as the foreclosure market hits up, like we're traveling, we went to places like Georgia and we actually came to your area. We were in uh, Henderson. We sold uh, real estate there. Okay. Uh, so were you buying up the foreclosures? Was that what? <laughs> no, we, we just came in and we're, we're either um, auctioning for, for banks or for private sellers. Oh, okay. All right. Gotcha. So because at this point, you know, you had to have a unique approach to even selling your house even before, like maybe you're about to be foreclosed or the market was just so competitive with people selling. Gotcha. So you were doing the distressed sales maybe or something? Yeah. I mean, some of it was distressed, but we also did a lot of non-distressed and people were just looking for a different way of selling the house in that competitive market. Right. So, gotcha. so we started doing more of this and we're traveling more and more and more. And, um, so then when my, my son was about to be born, I told him, I said, Hey, I don't want to travel anymore. I want to be able to uh, spend more time, you know, in, uh, in Amarillo. So they, um, they said, okay, why don't you just take over a local market and you run everything there? I said, okay, cool. 
So we were on and uh, they were doing their thing, kind of expanding on a national basis. And I was just back home, kind of taking care of the, the home hub and everything that was happening there. And then um, a lot of the expansion plans didn't quite go according. And they had made a lot of investment in expanding and hiring a lot of people and hiring a lot of family, family members as well. And when it didn't work out, like everybody came back to the home hub and essentially just started interjecting people everywhere. Started, you know, <laughs> what happened is it started limiting opportunity for me, right? So um, what I did is um, I actually went and talked to one of my real estate instructors that I got my license from. And now we're kind of into late 2009. And <laughs> so he said, hey, um, why don't you start an auction division for us? And I said, uh, I kind of thought about it. I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. Yeah, so it was a prudential franchise. And I sort of uh, kind of built from scratch on the real estate auction division for them. Okay. And um, kind of started, you know, just kind of building out with them and um, started getting into traditional real estate as well. Okay. So, so yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Um, yeah, so we're kind of going along and ended up being very successful in, in what we're doing. And um, I also launched another uh, traditional auction company at the same time because we're auctioning real estate with uh, Prudential. But then it's like, hey, what do we do about the rest of the stuff? If we sell a, an, an estate, what are we going to do with all the, the things that need to be sold? So I said, hey, I'll just start a, a little auction company on the side and we'll we'll kind of take care of that. Like a liquidation kind of, kind of auction kind of thing? Right. So like think of like an estate auction or like, uh, you know, it's, it's like an estate sale except they're just auctioning instead of uh, pricing. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I get we're it. We're doing this. And I mean, at this point, um, you know, my son's born. I'm just working all the time. Right, right. right. I'm just like I'm, I'm still in survival mode. Like one thing we we pledged is that we would pay back um, every dime of money that we owed, right? With all the interest and everything, we said you know we're going to honor that and pay back everybody that we borrowed money from. Right. So <laughs> we're just on this path of like Kristen's home with the kids. I'm just working as hard as I can. Sure. And just to stay uh, afloat, kind of. Just to stay afloat, just to survive. Yeah. Man. I mean, it right. was it was fine. Um, so I'm working. Doing the real estate auctions, I'm doing uh, the other auction stuff, and slowly but slowly, everything like started like really growing. And uh, but what happened is, as things grew, I started losing my time even more. And there's just a greater time demand and greater time demand. And then I started kind of hiring people, and I and <laughs> I just it wasn't very successful. Right? And it was very different in this professional environment hiring people than it was, you know, back when I had my my C shop. Um, it was kind of very easy to hire back then. It's kind of like, hey, do I like you? Do you like snowboarding or skiing? Do you have some customer service? I mean, it wasn't, you know, the, the qualification of like somebody that works in that environment is, is very different than now, you know, handling high dollar real estate deals and, you know, dealing with people's personal estates and stuff like that. So right. I kind of went through like starting to kind of hire, not really finding luck and hiring, not finding luck and, um, I was sort of kind of getting to a, a real stress point because at this point, everything was started growing really fast. Um, and I mean, outwardly, there was even like start being some recognition of our top 20 under 40 talent you know, professionals. And uh, we got an award uh, in the state of Texas for like the SBA Young Entrepreneur Champion. And like, so there's all these kind of cool things that were happening from the outside. Right. Looking in, it looked like I was being successful. And behind the scenes, I was just dying. Like I you was struggling. Exhausted. You're I was exhausted. Out. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, at this point, it's you know, <laughs> Jackson's like two years old already. My my relationship with my wife starting to fall apart. 
Um, I was just never there. I was working seven days a week, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours a day. And I remember I got to this point where I started really feeling like I've been lied to. And the sense of what I was told in my life growing up was like, Dirk, if you work hard and do the right thing, you know, you're going to get ahead. Like treat people right, do the right thing, work hard. And I, and I felt like I've been doing that for, you know, for a long time now and I'm just not getting ahead. Like I was like, I've been lied to, I'm missing a piece. Like what is wrong here? Sure. And wow. Yeah. You know, so I started kind of searching, this is about 2012 and I really started searching for, you know, what is it that can change this? And <laughs> I think it's one of these things that, I was so frustrated. I mean, like we, we've been fighting like foreclosure on this house that we bought for several years now behind the bills. I mean, not making, I mean, it's just like crazy stuff. Like I drove a car one time for three months and the car only had first and third gear. Like it, was a, it was a little Chevy <laughs> yeah. Razor, yeah. the transmission jack. I didn't even have reverse. So I couldn't park anywhere that I had to reverse the car. I wow. Have, and I'm doing real estate deals all the time. So it was crazy, man. But all of a sudden, like I started like realizing, like, hey, there's a different way that successful people operate. Okay, how yeah. did you find but that? I, I mean, was it like in a moment, <laughs> or did, was, you, did you find a book? Or, well, I mean, one thing that I found is um, I did start like for the first time really started searching for personal development. So I, I, I like something clicked with like people live different, think different, and, and Tony Robbins is probably one of the first influences. Yeah, right? I, I kind of yep. Some you know, YouTube, YouTube videos, and I bought this 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 uh, uh, series from him called like the Ultimate Edge. I still remember it. And the way that I, the reason I remember it is because I listened to every disc like three or four times every day for like three days in a row before I put the next one. Like I just immersed myself in that. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I got uh, recruited to go work uh, with Kendall Williams Realty from Prudential um, the end of that year. And they've been trying to recruit me for several years, and I just kept saying no, no, no. But they were kind of interested in this auction thing I was doing and saying, like, hey, we, we may have a bigger network for you to expand this, this auction thing. So I was really interested in that. But I joined, and then shortly after I joined, uh, like, I mean, two weeks after I joined, this is the end of December, I went to a training in Austin, Texas called Recruits Lab. And the training was all about how to truly understand the needs of your organization, how to hire the right people, like truly how to select the right people, how to train them and how to lead them. Okay. When nice. the first time in my life, I saw a path just unfolding in front of me. And this whole sense of like helplessness and not knowing how to move forward just immediately became clear. And I was like, I just got to learn how to hire the right people and really start leading them and helping them win. Yeah. I think we all, I, I had a similar sort of struggle uh, while I was active duty Air Force. You know, it's like that, that story that you just said, it's like you've been sold on this thing. If you work hard, right, everything's going to be okay. If you're a good person, you work hard, you're going you're gonna to do okay. But the thing they mm -hmm. leave out is this thing about like working through other people, right? Right. You can't really do all the work yourself. <laughs> no, you so at you some point, right, you have to learn how to accomplish work through other people. Right. And that's leadership, basically. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I took yeah. this course and yeah. um, it, it, I started immediately started changing because it's a turnkey approach to how to, how to hire and train and lead. Right. So okay. I immediately, um, I ended up taking the course seven times in two years. 
Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I understand uh, why too, because you just really yeah. like the community. I bet. Um, well, I mean, for me, it's like, it was the first time in my life that somebody gave me a very tangible way for me to accelerate my life. Right. Okay. And sure. what happened was I took all of my time and effort and energy and like everything that because I'm a naturally extremely driven person. But now I had kind of a, a channel for that. And so what happened is, I mean, at the time I was selling about 27 houses a year and we're probably doing about 12 to 14 different auctions a year as well. Right. So about once a month, once um, someone's more of it. And in two years, we were able to go from selling, you know, 27 houses a year to selling about 120 houses a year, now doing like 30 to 40 auctions uh, a year. Right. And started building a team, had a whole, my real estate team that now I was only working, you know, Monday through Friday, you know, okay. uh, usually about eight to maybe six. No more weekends, no more evenings, anything like that. Not selling 120 houses a year. So you got like a, a life back. Good. I got my life back, right? And financially, we made a huge turn in those two years from being just completely strapped to actually now, you know, kind of getting ahead a little bit. We bought a couple of investment properties. I was able to buy my wife a nice vehicle, which is really important to me. Um, we're able to go on some family trips now. Nothing, nothing extravagant, but I mean, it wasn't that like clutch, that just debt clutch that like financial stress puts on you anymore. Right. And, uh, so then, um, uh, for the first time, my wife is open to leaving that area. Because uh, the thing is, again, and the thing is, this is kind of maybe one of those tendencies, is, again, I felt very constrained in Amarillo. Now, that environment wasn't big enough for me. Like, I wanted a bigger environment. So I wanted to leave. And this is something that, you know, six, seven years, we kind of, you know, been trying to uh, kind of get her to leave. And, you know, she didn't want to. Well, all of a sudden, one day, she just comes up to me and she says, hey, I'm open to leaving. And... I was like, wow, are you serious? You know, so we had a conversation and I just kind of threw out a couple of feelers like, hey, if there's any opportunities out there, you know, uh, and I ended up having a lot of people reaching out. I think I had nine different um, Keller Williams offices reaching out uh, for like the brokerage CEO position. Wow. Okay. Nice. Yeah. And so we evaluated these kind of opportunities and and we ended up moving to to Houston to uh, uh, rent an office in Pearland, Texas which is right outside of Houston, and we moved to a town called Friendswood. And so we relocated. Uh, the same year, I extended my real estate team from Emerald to, to uh, Houston as well. So now we're operating in two cities with uh, real estate and auctions. And I was able to do a good job here on growing the brokerage. There was about, probably about 185 agents when, when I took leadership. And I think uh, by the following year, we were up to about 230 agents, and we'd increased uh, productivity uh, profitability. We expanded the space. We had a new uh, executive leadership team that I hired and built. And so there's a lot of good things that happened. And then I kind of got the knock of opportunity to move up to Maryland to run one of the top Keller Williams offices worldwide. Wow. Okay. And so that's a big shift, Houston, though. Uh, that that Maryland. That's a big. That, that's a lot different uh, than Texas. <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah. So. You know, we spoke about it, and uh, Kristen, Kristen was, uh, you know, in support. And by this time, we we had our daughter too. So I mean, we've got uh, got our son and daughter, and you know, four of us move up to Maryland. Um, and really, that, so this is by 2016, and, and really, uh, what just an amazing growth year for me. Okay. And there was a lot of uh, really big successes. There were a lot of like really hard lessons that I had to learn that year. 
But one thing that I really started understanding that year because I, I had gotten really good at the process of building high performance teams, and um, that, that's kind of what was able to, what opened the door for me to build my business so fast, to expand it, to really change everything, all the dynamics in the brokerage. Because um, so I really started understanding the dynamics of building a great team, and then. Uh, but what I what I didn't really understand at the deeper level is which what a tr- uh, leader truly looks like. Right? Okay. What, what is leadership? Because I mean, my my blueprint of leadership growing up is it's like, you know, it's it's like uh, very top down, very strong, very I'll tell you what to do. Right. Very, right. You know, right. Answers, the authoritarian right? directive kind of person. Yes, yes. Exactly. Right. So that was my blueprint of leadership growing up, and what I started um, learning is that true leadership looks very, very different than that. But what I had to really kind of experience within myself is um, I need to do so much work within me to be able to lead others. And a big part of it is like, you know, I wasn't willing to emotionally connect with anybody. Right. So it was it was always very transactional. Like leadership was very transactional for me. And what, what happened during that year is that was truly, I mean, I was broken down as a person. And what that allowed in that time of just like breaking down was me for me to discover that, you know, I have value as a human being sure. and yes. I, I can be in deep relationship with other people, especially successful people. Because I think a big part of what I internalized was that I wasn't worthy to be in a relationship with successful people. Right. And that's, um, that's, uh, that was a hard lesson for me to go through. And I think a lot of people carry that without knowing it. I think you're right. And then, what happens is an easy way to know is if you have judgment around successful people, right? If, if you right. see something highly successful or that has money or that's taking amazing trips and there's any kind of judgment around that, it's got nothing to do with them. It's got to do with your, your belief system around um, how do you value yourself against those people? Right? Mm. It's like a self-esteem uh, almost <laughs> issue, right? That's it, right? There's a self-esteem, there's a, there's a judgment, uh, there's ego involved in that. Right. Maybe a little envy, so, jealousy, you know, all yeah, kinds right. of, yes, right. yes, things. yes. So, oh, I don't want that because, you know, I'm noble and right. And, and I don't right. need that kind of crap. You know, I'm not, you know, insert all the labels that you're going to label that person. And well, you don't 100%. know anything about that person. <laughs> right. right. You yes, you're right. Yeah. I, I've fallen into that trap myself. I think we all have. So I get it. Yeah, so I went, I went through a heavy year in that, right? So um, right. I had some amazing people, like my leadership coach, my uh, productivity coach, my my mentor, uh, my direct um, my direct leader in the business. I mean, I just had amazing people around me that really just uh, coached me and mentored me and, and just loved me through all of that. Just amazing humans. And what happened is uh, I came out on the other side Um probably as driven as I've ever been before, but now I had a completely new lens and approach at how I look at business and how I look at the human relations side of business. And really, um, you know, after some time in Maryland, we, we decided we wanted to move back to Texas. And, you know, for me, I was ready to um, really jump back into small business. Uh, <laughs> at, at that point, um, you know, being kind of again in a in a in a setting where there's there's a lot of kind of more corporate rules, regulations, things like that. I felt uh, again, I felt constricted, right? Sure. But, I mean, the cool thing is that I mean, I went from you know the small town to a little bit bigger town, different industries and things like that. But I think that everything kind of came together 
with all the lessons that I've needed to learn with everything that I've gone through, that, you know, I, I decided, hey, I'm going to start, a, start a, my own company to start training, consulting with other companies on how to build high-performance teams and how to scale organizations, how to lead people effectively. Right, nice. You know, but there was so much purpose behind it now. It wasn't about transactions or, hey, how much money we're going to make. It was really about transforming people's lives because I I saw how businesses, when they start to grow and become successful, they take a heavy toll on the entrepreneur behind the business. Yeah. And uh, emotional toll and physical toll and mental energy. Well, you I, went through it, so you know yeah, the toll. I, was, <laughs> I, was, I mean, it was, I mean, heavy, heavy, heavy stress, right? And right. I, I, was, I was just so fortunate that I had amazing people that, I mean, you just said, Dirk, don't give up. Like, go after it. Like, you know, no matter what happens, like, you know, people that encouraged me through it. And we want to do that for others, right? So we we launched Birdflow, and that's that's my primary business. We launched Birdflow in 2017, in January. And uh, essentially, I mean, we had nothing. I had, uh, I brought my, uh, relocated my, my office assistant with me. Um, so it was her and I started this company. And, you know, uh, fast forward a couple of years, I mean, it's it's been amazing. Like we took on uh, GoBundance as an organization. We took them on as a client in January. And I mean, what an amazing way that now, you know, we took on an organization like GoBundance that's, that's a mastermind group, a tribe essentially for millionaire entrepreneurs, right? So we have, you know, 230, um, you know, members within GoBundance now that are all, you know, high-level business owners, entrepreneurs who work heavily with another organization called Inspector Empire Builder, where we have 170 companies as clients who work with them on a ongoing basis. Wow. And, um, you know, so we, we, we've really been able to expand our world. Uh, we've built an incredible team. Uh, we just brought on um, um, today uh, our eighth team member since we launched the company, and we've got two more that are starting in the next couple of weeks. So, you know, it's, it's been this, like, really amazing journey of, like, hard lessons and, um, you know, things that we've worked on. But it's all kind of just brought me to a point of um, because I've, I've been in a couple of different business industries now, different businesses, uh, run small businesses, big businesses, and it just brought me back to this place of like really having clarity around um, what what a cool opportunity it is to be an entrepreneur today. Like how cool it is to be able to create and craft your own environment and. Really, if you want to go after something, that you could absolutely do that. Like I, I tell people all the time, like I don't, I don't preface it with this. I don't watch the news. Um, I don't watch TV. Um, <laughs> very, right. I'm very, I'm very unplugged from the mainstream, and I have been for probably like four years now. Sure. Um, because my my mindful energy and the way that I feel and the way that I think every day um, for me has to be very pure in me actually being able to go after and do the things that I want to do in my life and support the, the people that I'm building with. So makes sense. I tell people all the time that, look, the, the greatest opportunity we've ever had to build wealth and be an entrepreneur is today. You know, and, and I get sick and tired of people like um, just talking about like the good old days or how things used to be like today. If, if you can't go out and like, you know, really go after a business today, like it's, it's, it's not because you're not smart enough. It's not because the resources aren't there. It's just because you don't want it. And, you're right. That's true. Uh, yeah. I mean, there, you can go to YouTube and just about find anything that you want, right? You can, you can go out. There's millions of mastermind groups and coaches and this, I mean, there's everything out there today that no matter what you want, 
you can go after it. And, I think um, that's an important lesson in and of itself. Like I, I, I actually was trying to be an entrepreneur for a long time until I learned that lesson, what you just said, right? The, the only reason I'm, I didn't succeed was because I didn't want to, I just didn't know I didn't want to. (laughs) Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm talking about? I didn't have that. We can fool ourselves. We can, we can, we can place the blame elsewhere, right? And ultimately being a victim, right? If you're not succeeding, it's not, same thing, like back in my ski shop failed, <laughs> I would say things like, well, you know, we failed because, I mean, there was a drought or because the economy started tanking because of this, because of this. And it wasn't until I took ownership and responsibility and say, look, the only reason my shop failed is from the decisions I made and from the actions I took or did not take. Right. Period. Right. That's why the shop failed. Yes. <laughs> because there's proof that there's other people that maintain their shops during the same time period. So. Um, it wasn't like everybody got wiped out, right? So if if some people made it and some people didn't, like it's because of the, the, the decisions yes. that were taken, right? right. Yes, it's not because of the environmental influences. No, so, well, the well, yeah, it's all the, the environment's the same for everybody. The only difference that, is that's you. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I learned that lesson the hard way, but it took me like probably close to ten years to learn that I just didn't want to. <laughs> Does that make yeah yeah, yeah and not and that's okay it's it's okay not every yeah. and not everybody really wants has the required desire to do that because it takes a huge amount of want like this, uh, yeah, yeah you're right if you don't want to with every fiber of your being you won't that's that so yeah. stop trying and just get a job <laughs> get a really good job that you like you know but. Don't, don't, you know, don't keep, you know, beating yourself up about something you are not, you know, it's okay not to be. Yeah. So here's, here's something we tell people, right? Cause we, we actually, I mean, we're working with a lot of different companies today. And I mean, you're really a kind of core company is somebody's got probably like 10 to 60 or 70 team members in a business of somewhere around north of a million dollars a year in revenue. So we work with a lot of these kind of people and we, we talk about this because it's really important when you're growing an organization, you're really tuning to this. And that is, that there's kind of three stages of like development or like growing or pushing, right? Like that, that, that drive that, that push that you're talking about is hard. And one is that you have like the tip of the spear, right? It's like the leading edge of the ax. It's, it's a point of contact um, that's out there. So if you're growing a business, it's an initial hit with the market. It's like the financial problems, the stress, like all of that kind of stuff at the, at the tip of the spear. And that's where things are bloody. Right. It's a, it's a, it's hard hanging. It's bloody. It's messy. It's, you know, it's, it's mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. I mean, it's just like all around. It's hard there. Right. But at the same time, that's where the greatest opportunities lie. So you got to understand that about the correlation in, in that space, right? The, the next part of it is kind of the, the process of early adoption, right? Where now you're starting to kind of, build systems and processes and kind of trying to straighten out the chaos a little bit that's created by the leading edge. Right. And then, and there's still pretty good opportunities there for people that can do this kind of what we call normalization. Okay. And that's where you can go to work every day and you can kind of do something that is more normalized. Like you don't have the, the constant stress of having to innovate or change or figure out or optimize. Like you can go to work and kind of do a job every day. Right. But it's, it's, it's way easier on that side of it, but there's the smallest level of opportunities lay on that side as well. 
right? So sense. you kind of understand like what you want. You have to correlate it with like, hey, where am I in this process? Right? Am I willing to kind of be on that leading edge and like take the hits on a day-to-day, in-and-out basis and like carry that weight and that stress and everything? Because it's not for everybody, right? Right, and right. And, and, and the other thing is that there's no way that I could still be in this now. So I'm, I'm 38, but I mean, the way that I feel is that with everything I've gone through in my career, like um, I've, I've encountered a lot more than a lot of people may have encountered, like even if they're in their 40s or 50s. Right. So I'm fortunate that a lot of these things, like these big failures came very early on in my career that I've been able to learn from them and have this experience of like wanting you know, a business that does almost a billion dollars a year in sales, right? I mean, like, I've, I've been fortunate in these kind of things, but one thing I realized is it's all about the people that you bring around you that can support you in whichever area you are. There's no way I can do the things that I do today without an amazing team, right? you know, backing me up. Yes, and the opposite's true. So if you just get, like, you know, any old, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Then it's like the opposite is true. So it's like a sure way to not succeed is to not figure out how to get an amazing team around you. 100%. I mean, and it's not just you know, the people you work with, right? I mean, it's the people that are in your sphere of influence, your friends, your family. Right. And yes. That, that kind of brings us full, full circle to kind of like the, the you know, the Google Buttons conversation, right? I mean, uh, earlier this year, uh, we uh, became CEO of Rolandas and we're, Virtual is really helping them kind of uh, develop and scale as an organization. And when when they they started talking about this book, um, oh my gosh, like I was so excited about it because the essence of the book Tribe of Millionaires is really understanding that there's some core things that happen with the interaction that you have around people. And we're not really aware of it, <laughs> but that starts really changing uh, you know, how we show up and how we start uh, shaping, right? The, the, the path of like, Hey, where we veer. And there's things like, there's things like, uh, uh, you know, the influences that the way that we think, the way that we're accountable, the way that we show up, the way that, you know, we just go through life is so heavily influenced by the people that are in our lives. And most of the time, um, there's not a high level of awareness from that. And I find with adults, like with their kids, they're really adamant about like, hey, they want to be aware of like who their kids are hanging out with and spending time with, especially, you know, kind of in those junior high years or high school years where they're starting right, to really kind of independence. Right. So a parent can be very aware of that. But then how aware is that parent about who they're spending their time with? <laughs> You're right. right? <laughs> yeah. And they've got they've got their friends and their coworkers and the, you know, the family members, but like who is saying to them, hey, who are you spending time with? Like, are they influencing right. you on a continual basis to be your best, to to show up, to be healthier, to be more fulfilled in your relationships, to be aware of, you know, how you're building wealth, you know, um, how you're showing up in your level of contribution, right? Or do you have people as an adult that are like influencing you in that way today? Or are you kind of hanging out with people that may By default, can, right. <laughs> by default, there yeah. may be people that complain about things or always talk about what's wrong and never talking about what's right. They're, well, the they're people that happen to be in that at work in the building or people that happen to be your coworkers, right? So, That's it. I mean, yeah. the thing is, you spend more waking hours at work than you do at home. Right. right. So right. you spend time at work for a huge influence. So, I mean, if you can like really start helping people understand this concept, and this is exactly like the, the book Tribe Millionaires is written in a, in a fable. So it's a really cool story. And like, most people can read the book in, you know, four to five hours. It's nice. a quickie, but it's a tension grab. And that's one of the things that I was so excited about with like abundance and getting this book out is that 
that's a huge way of how people are starting to transform their life by like truly being more accountable to what they want, what's important to them. And, you know, those are those, I think like, you know, speaking about veer, like those are the things that, that are true, those pivot moments, those veering moments is when you can, when you have somebody that stands in the gap for you and drives you towards your greatness when you're wanting to fight for your limitations, right? And in those moments is where it matters. Like that, that's where the change you're so right. if, if people can become more aware of those moments, like that's what's going to ultimately transform their lives. Sounds amazing. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit as we wrap up where people can best get in touch with Dirk Van Rienen. Um, yeah, so I think uh, probably the easiest way um, for somebody that can either go to goabundance.com. Right. That's uh, just G-O-B-U-N-D-A-N-C-E.com. You can contact us through there. Um, our, my, my personal company also is Bergflow, B-E-R-G-F-L-O-W. Go to Bergflow.com. Got it. Um, that's really the, the main way. Maybe look me up on Facebook and send me a message. Got um, but, um, yeah, I mean, we're, you know, that's it. Perfect. This has been a blast. We could do this again because we didn't get to talk about any of the adventures that I was actually wanting to do that more. I should have said that. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, then, it was good. It, yeah. It was good. That's okay. We'll, we'll keep yeah, that we'll, for we'll, show we'll, B. We'll, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back and dive into any of the, the, the stories we're diving into. All the adventures. That's right. Yes. The, yeah. Those are fun. <laughs> but this was a blast. I appreciate you uh, being open and uh, and hanging out with me for about an hour. That was That was a lot of fun. Thank you. Very cool. Well, Jeff, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on the show. All right. Take it easy. Have a good one. All right. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.